0: Welcome to Your Future at McGill podcast. I'm your host, Nick. Adding to our student series, today I'm chatting with Xavier, who's enrolled in our faculty of arts. Xavier has definitely taken advantage of the opportunities of the arts degree and is currently completing a joint honors program in philosophy and political science. Coming from New Jersey, Xavier was eager to share his experience being a student from the US at McGill. We hope you enjoy our discussion. All right, welcome to your future at McGill podcast. I'm Nick and I'm here with Xavier. Uh, Would you mind just introducing yourself, telling us what you're studying at McGill, how long you've been studying at McGill and where you're from?
1: Yeah, hi everybody. Uh, I'm Xavier and I'm a U2 at McGill. Uh, So this is actually my third year and I'm studying um, political science and philosophy uh, with uh, joint honors uh, in the arts faculty. Oh, and I'm from New Jersey, <laughs> the awesome. great
0: state of New Jersey. So that, that's the key information. That's definitely where we're going to start with. So, uh, you know, coming from the U.S., uh, you represent, I think, our top three of international students come from the U.S. You know, we're not too far from the border. I've been to New Jersey for recruitment trips as well. So, you know, we, we head out there pretty often. Um, so thinking back to high school, you know, picture yourself It's a few years ago. Uh, How, you know, when did McGill come on your radar? When did you start thinking about McGill or just even coming to Canada? Uh, Like, what was that research like for you?
1: Well, I got off to kind of a late start with with my college search. Um, I had studied abroad uh, the year before. So when all of my friends were lining up their colleges, uh, taking SATs, I was messing around in Germany. so I came back and I was kind of like rushing through all this stuff over the winter of my senior year of high school. Um, and my dad kind of offhandedly had mentioned McGill. It um, was just like, you know, did you ever consider the Canadian schools? Um, and to be frank, I hadn't, uh, and I didn't. What, what really uh, made me apply to McGill was um, actually the girl I was seeing at the time um, was also, uh, we, we were trying to go to the same school. Um, but we were having trouble, you know, finding one that worked for both of us. Um, and on the last, the last day that McGill was accepting applications, um, she mentioned, "Hey, let's let's uh, apply to McGill." And I was sitting in um, an airport in Detroit, actually, having just visited the University of Michigan. Um, and I submitted my application, you know, right there with maybe eight hours left. And you know, looking forward. Um, unfortunately she did not end up getting accepted to McGill but but I did and uh, that's that's
0: why I'm here now that could be a Netflix movie maybe not the most <laughs> the, you know the happiest one but um, maybe it already is a Netflix movie uh, to a certain extent Um. so so you brought up one school so I, I guess traveling to schools was something that you were you know interested in doing did you have that chance with McGill first or is, well, I guess not right you were just let's just do it right away so that didn't you know, uh, that you didn't hesitate?
1: Yeah, so it, um, I didn't get a chance to visit McGill before I applied, um, but I, I was able to visit um, a couple times, once before I accepted um, my, applic- er, my offer, and then a couple times over the summer just to, to check out the city.
0: Definitely important things to do. And yeah, we do have a few events where you, you can get a chance to interact with McGill before accepting that offer. It's good that you took up that opportunity. Uh, For the program itself, so McGill, uh, you know, we have, you know, sometimes it's more of a general application, especially for what you're considering to, uh, depending on what you want to apply to. So for the arts degree, you know, it is more open ended. Were you always sort of focused on that type of academic path? Uh, Did you have an idea of what specific majors you wanted even before, you know, confirming your choice?
1: I was never really big into, you know, the harder sciences. Um, I really liked astrophysics. was a big space guy when I was younger. But as I learned real physics in high school, I started to realize that it is much different than just learning about black holes and stuff. Um, so, yeah, coming into McGill, I had, you know, I kind of thought that I wanted to go into political science because I'm obsessed with the news. I read it all the time. Um, I was really big into like international relations um, and that kind of falls under political science at McGill. Um, but what really ended up happening was during my freshman year, I, um, you know, I took a bunch of courses with, with the freshman course program, um, enjoyed my poli-sci courses, um, and I took intro to philosophy just kind of on a whim. Um, and it was actually my favorite class that year. So I just said, you know what, let's, let's do it political science and philosophy
0: <laughs> sometimes that's what it is it's one high school class or one moment where you get to learn about something and it drives that and you know i think the beauty too and we'll, we'll talk about this you know later on i think but with you know an arts degree if maybe that wasn't what you wanted you know when you started there's you know you can make those changes so it's nice that you you found the field that you were interested in uh in terms of maybe you know giving advice to you know a new jersey high school student right now who is thinking about where like uh, thinking about their options um, so maybe they can't physically get to the places they want to go to right now. But what kind of, you know, suggestions would you have for their research in terms of the college application process?
1: I think something that could be really valuable, you know, beyond beyond looking at websites, checking out virtual tours that I think a lot of universities are putting together. Um, and I didn't do this myself, but maybe uh, trying to reach out to some of the student leaders on campus. Um, I know as, as president of my fraternity, if someone messaged me just asking about, you know, what's student life like at, at McGill? Um, what are your favorite things about it? I'd, I'd be more than happy to answer. Uh, and I think it's a great way, you know, to probably get some perspective on, on what life is is actually like at these um, universities when you're not able to kind of go in person.
0: Yeah, that's definitely a great suggestion. Yeah. we. At a lot of our events and you know even this one right now speaking to an actual student is something that we believe is super beneficial so that's why we we always encourage students prospective students to to try to interact with current students because they'll you know you provide the accurate the honest uh, information that i think warrants uh, a lot of consideration so no definitely great advice and i will say yeah websites virtual tours mcgill's got them locked up you can definitely attend and visit those so uh, one way to get the uh, information so you're admitted. Um, unfortunately, the girlfriend at the time wasn't, but so you're admitted, you're coming in. Um, I did see, you know, you did your, the typical, like you had some AP courses, you were coming in with some credits, not full. So you were coming in with the, as a U0 student and, you know, maybe that terminology, you're, you're really frustrated with that still. But um, so you, you still have to do some freshman program, uh, some freshman credits. But did you find that confusing? How did that work for you during the registration period? Can you take us back to that moment where you had to start selecting your courses and was it clear or did you seek out advice? What did you do at that time?
1: Yeah, so I think it was pretty straightforward for me. And I mean, I think McGill's not like uh, a lot of other schools especially in the US where uh, I know some of my friends had, uh, you know, their advisors reach out to them and sat down with, with each person individually to set up their freshman courses um you know that doesn't really happen at McGill but I found you know I just went online um and after after realizing that doesn't happen I was like all right well I have to sign up for classes somehow so I went online I pretty much looked up you know freshman freshman course program uh found it on the I think the Arts Oasis website and um I I felt it was pretty straightforward from there it took a little bit of planning I wrote it all out in my notebook and like looked at courses that I wanted, see if it's off, they like fit the different time slots. Um, But I think it would pretty much went off without a hitch after I set it up.
0: Great to hear. And for anyone who, you know, maybe does want some advice, we do have events, uh, the Arts Oasis, especially, I know they do a few large webinars. So for anyone who, um, you know, if you do want some advice, it is there. Uh, The advisors are there. It's definitely not the one-to-one where they're calling you, but they're, they're definitely reachable. So uh, but as you yeah, mentioned, it's, it can be done uh, pretty simply. So uh, good to know that it did work out. Um, you're coming in. So, you, so you're coming in, you're starting at McGill. Uh, did you take us up on the uh, opportunities for the first year residences? Were you interested in that experience for the first year? Because it is guaranteed for all first year students. Um, where did you stay if you did?
1: Yeah, I definitely, I was definitely interested in living in, in residence, especially as an international student. It was either that. Or um, get an apartment, um, and I don't think I don't think I was quite quite ready for that at the time. Um, so I wanted to live in New Res. Um, I remember filling out kind of the, the preference sheet, and I think New Res was my my favorite one, and that was because of I think the food and the location. I, I was reading all these like different res reviews online, um, and people were saying it was like the New Res calf um and RVC were were the two best cafeterias um and but the thing about New Res was is that it was was closer to uh the plateau which is kind of like the you know the nightlife one of the nightlife uh districts of the city um and i was like well the food's about even in both places closer to the nightlife and it's an old you know four star i forget if it was three or four star hotel but that's a heck of a lot nicer than the dorms that my friends are in. <laughs> so I put all those together. New res was my first choice. Um, I think I had like C4 and then maybe one of the upper res um, residences. Uh, but, you know, that's neither here nor there because I ended up staying in new res. Um, and yeah, it, it was it was a really great time.
0: It's, I always find it funny, the amount of research or the reasons why someone picks a certain residence, because I think Sometimes more thought goes into that than sometimes the academic program. And, and I think that's fair. You know, you're going to live there for a year. So I think it's important to think about these things. The food might be the first time I've heard that be, you know, uh, one of those <laughs> factors. Like I hear about the bathrooms. I hear about the privacy. I hear uh, location for sure. Um, but no, yeah, food for the win. Um, I've been there as well. The food's not bad. The food is pretty good. Um, so I was wowed I, by the um, sushi and poke bowls that they do. Awesome, yeah, and I know I can't I'm blanking on the chef's name, but uh, he's definitely there, and he loves the students, and he, he loves giving them like awesome foods as well. So, uh, yeah, plus one for food. Um, so, and and obviously, so we have it for first year uh, students. After that, you know, you're pretty much you know there there are some limited spots to stay in residences, but typically students are pretty excited to get their own apartment. How was that transition for you? So I'd imagine maybe right now you're in an apartment. Like, was that easy? Did you make enough friends? You know, or, or a friend to just to find a place uh, on your own after that first year
1: yeah um, it was it was pretty pretty straightforward um, I ended up uh, living with a couple members of my fraternity um, which is always a, a pretty easy out if you're <laughs> if you're in need of um, roommates um, but that, yeah that was pretty pretty straightforward um, with that. I think it definitely helped having um, a couple uh, older students uh, living living with us as well. Um, so they kind of um, went ahead and, you know, spearheaded the search for an apartment. Um, so it was definitely easier than
0: kind of doing it all on my own. Um, and one thing, I'll just come back to the first year of residence, because I'm always curious about this. And it's something that we talk about to prospective students. The idea of having a floor fellow. So this is a, an older student who's sort of there to... You know guide you to help you in in those you know in, in tough situations whatever they may be uh do you feel like that was you know something that you know maybe you didn't have to actually take advantage of but you know just having that sort of safety net for that first year did you feel like you appreciated that and is that something like you would recommend to to prospective students to consider
1: yeah i i really liked the the whole floor fellow program um i think what really appealed to me about it was again kind of seeing like the um the difference between floor fellows at McGill and then RAs down in, in the U.S., where a lot of my friends would be talking about their residence advisors. Like, I think that's what RA stands for. I was just guessing on that. <laughs> um, but a lot of my friends would be saying like, oh, yeah, they they busted into a room and took, you know, our alcohol or they you know broke up a party on X floor. Um, and it seems like a lot of the time they viewed their RAs is kind of like the local, you know, almost pseudo school law enforcement or rule enforcement, I should say. Whereas, you know, obviously the floor fellows aren't going to let let you break school rules willy nilly. um, But I felt like their role was much more, much more supportive and kind of like, you know, student focused, focused on just helping, helping students get through the year, um, making friends with the rest of your floor, trying to make you know, the McGill community uh, feel a little smaller, uh, especially right when you're starting off. Um, So, yeah, I I really appreciated the
0: program. Nice. Okay. Uh, Maybe just talking about that transition then, you know, so uh, compared to a lot of our other students who come in for the first year, uh, in in some ways, you know, you're you're younger, you know, than some of our other first year students. Uh, Did you feel you know, do you remember that transition from high school to a Canadian university or a university in general? Did you feel like you were prepared? What were some of the things that you maybe had to overcome if there were some tough spots?
1: I think I think I was, you know, how can one be prepared, I guess, is the first thing. I, I didn't have much an idea what I was getting into. You know, you go from classes that are, what, six hours a day of class in a row to maybe two hours a day, but then three hours at home working every day or something, doing doing readings and preparing for papers and stuff. Um, so I think the biggest thing, the biggest difficulty for me was, um, you know, getting myself to work on stuff outside of class because um, I, I feel like at least in high school, I was able to kind of, to coast by, you know, do my homework um, late at night or early in the morning. Um, and then, you know, if You're you're kind of forced to go to school in high school, Um, so you're always absorbing that material. You're always kind of putting in a decent amount of work. Whereas, you know, at university, at least in um, in my program, um, going you know going to the lectures is uh, really just uh, kind of a refresher on all of the the readings and stuff, tying that all together. And the actual work, at least the stuff you're doing for a grade, is all at home, you know, besides the occasional midterm or final. Uh, but even then, you're not studying for those in lecture, like you might do in a, in a high school class. You're you're learning stuff right up until the day, and you've got to do all that work on your own. So I think the biggest thing for me was um, learning how to kind of self-start, um, setting a schedule, keeping a to-do list, um, really, really getting organized kind of on my end, uh, so that I didn't just fall fall behind in all of my classes
0: it definitely allows you know for growth in so many ways and things that maybe you're not considering but it just so happens you know you find success and you're growing uh whether it's organizational skills time management skills whatever it may be uh so it's you know it's good that you you definitely you know were able to accept that challenge and and you met it head on um maybe just talking a little bit about your program so could you just remind so the arts degree you know it's 120 credits uh in total and there's a lot of flexibility in how it's put together. So how, did, how have you put it together? Just remind us again.
1: Yeah, so I'm doing a joint honors in philosophy and political science. So yeah, it's 36 credits from uh, political science courses and 36 from uh, philosophy. Um, I was also intending on doing a German minor um, at, at McGill, but I found out that I'm just not a big fan of um, language courses at the university level. So that I kind of decided to, to step away from that. Um,
0: well, yeah. I'll, I'll just come in then. What happened? So, uh, you know, language courses is a huge component of our arts background, of the arts degree. So, you know, maybe you don't want to take a full minor, so 18 credits. Maybe you just want a few credits. But what was the, what did you realize after taking a few more German language courses?
1: Yeah, so, so what happened is I took uh, intensive intermediate German uh, my first year. So they took, how, how that works is at McGill, you usually have kind of like two types of language courses. There'll be the ones that are two semester. So it's just like, you know, let's say German 101, D1, D2. And you have to take uh, both of those. You know, if you take the first one, you have to take the second one the next semester. Um, but what the intensive courses do is they kind of combine those all into a one semester course. Um, but it's also six credits instead of um, the three credits. So you're getting the same amount of credits, but it's kind of compressed into into one course. Um, So I enjoyed that. I had a a good time with it. Um, But then I guess the the big takeaway from it was that the the language courses kind of really require consistent work, you know, and that makes sense. That's how you learn a language. It's practice, practice, practice. Um, But how I usually you know with with my courses um not not the software the um my courses my my own courses um I usually you know I'll do uh, my readings kind of throughout the week and I'll work on you know my assignments um as they come but I guess I just wasn't a massive fan of that like nightly it, it almost felt like um high school-ish and not not in a bad way but just in the sense that there was um, almost nightly homework um, and and stuff to do like that that I just didn't didn't really enjoy
0: and that's perfectly fair Uh, I was just curious um, and you know for anyone who is listening and maybe goes well you know what I want that or I want to learn a language that way then then by all means now you have the you know the the evidence to show that that's how it works um, and we definitely have a lot of opportunities there but yeah it is definitely a maybe a bit more relaxing to learn a language for the sake of learning language and maybe not for a grade, um, but mm-hmm. to each their own, um, to make those decisions. What's nice though, for sure, in the Faculty of Arts is that I think you had that officially as a minor, but through Minerva, you were able to just drop it or like you will drop it, right? So it's a pretty simple yep. process.
1: Yeah, it's um it's really easy. I've actually, even when I like switched my majors around, um, all I needed to do, see, I wasn't in uh, joint honors, I think, for the first year of this all, I was just doing a double major. Um, And then then it was actually because I didn't, I wasn't sure if I'd wanted to commit to the honors curriculum because there are some, you know, additional grade requirements um, and additional, there's a few classes that you need to take um, in the, if you're in the honors component of, you know, political science or philosophy. And I just just wasn't sure that I wanted to commit to those quite yet. Um, Yeah, I switched to joint honors um, I think halfway through my second year, um, and then with, with the German major, or sorry, minor. Um, it's actually still still sitting on, on Minerva, but I haven't taken a German class in two years. So I'll just need, need to make sure I drop that out before I apply for my degree.
0: So, so a lot of independence. So a lot of, the, you know, you do it <laughs> a lot through uh, Minerva, which is the student portal that we get access to as a student. Uh, maybe about that transition into honors how did that application work so you know for students who are maybe already thinking i want to do the honors degree and whatever it may be you know we don't let you apply to that directly so how did that application work or how did that process work to switch into those that joint honors program
1: yeah um so i i haven't applied through the honors program yet um what i did is uh, I, again, kind of went online and looked at the, looked at honors to see, you know, what the deal was. Did it seem like something that I wanted to do? Um, and, you know, throughout my life, I've always kind of been trying to do the the most rigorous, the most rigorous work I can. Um, I know you mentioned in high school, those APs. So I was in the AP program, um, stuff like that. So coming to McGill, you know, my first for inclination was like, of course I'm doing honors. And my parents were, you know, they weren't pushing me too hard. Um they're they're nice like that. But I think they were also kind of, you know, they would have asked me why I wasn't doing honors if if I had decided not to. Um, but anyways, back to the, the switch into it. Um, I looked online and I was just checking out all of the requirements. Um, I saw that my grades um up and up through then um met the requirements. Um, they still meet the requirements, I think. Just <laughs> did like a little self check in there, um, but I saw that yeah, my grades for the different classes um, met the honors requirements. Um, I looked at sort of the the stuff that the program required, so like either writing a thesis or um, I guess you don't have to you don't have to write a thesis, but I thought the thesis component was actually really cool, which is one of the things that kind of brought me to the program. Um, And I guess I also just liked, especially for the political science one, um, the sort of emphasis on um, quantitative, quantitative learning. I noticed that one of the required classes was um, the quantitative political science class. And I thought that was really cool, like a a really unique opportunity to go beyond just the, um, you know, big theory stuff and actually get into uh, some stuff on the research side of things.
0: Really cool. Uh, yeah. And, and just to say for the honours thing, that's sort of how it works. Look at their website usually it means, you know, do a year at least at McGill and then take a shot and uh, speak to the right people or just make the changes happen. So there is definitely a way to do it. Um, obviously, that great component. Maybe let's just take a moment to talk about those, you know, the two programs that you brought together as that joint honours. So, you know, if you just say the words, you know, political science, or philosophy, you know, it's these are large areas uh, and obviously they give you a chance to specialize. Um, maybe t- taking one at a time, what has been your area of political science that you've been focusing in on? Or, you know, how has that part of your degree been for you?
1: Yeah, so for for political science, um, I think my focus is really on international relations. Um, I have I've done, you know, a decent amount of political theory, um, not too much in terms of um, international development um, or sort of comparative politics, those are some of the other political science fields. Um, but yeah, I've, I've kind of focused in on international relations, um, international political economy, I've found surprisingly interesting, no matter, despite how dry it sounds. Because um, I, always, I always kind of liked, always liked economics a little bit, but I took a course in my first year when I was um, you know, trying stuff out, um, liked macro, but have just never been a fan of micro. Um, so going into these, you know, international political economy classes, uh, I've taken a few now, um, it's been really interesting because they really just use all the macro concepts and then combine it with a little bit of a little bit of political theory, a little bit of international relations. So I found those, um, pretty, pretty rewarding.
0: Really nice that you found your little niche, you know, you're able to combine the things that you're interested in. And then on the other side, so the other joint honors program, how has that experience been for you?
1: Yeah, philosophy has been uh, pretty fun. I think I have yet to kind of focus in on one area. I think the philosophy um, program is a little, a little bit different. Um, although I guess there is there is one part of it where you have to take um, three classes from either you know let's say section A or section B. Um, and uh, section A was kind of like relatively recent history um, philosophers, and then section B is like, you know, ancient philosophers, um, and I... Chose... Don't don't
0: badmouth the ancient ones, don't do it. <laughs> I
1: mean, they're not bad, per se, it's just that the more recent ones are better. <laughs> um, no, so I, I went with the, you know, relatively contemporary philosophers just because I, I didn't feel like Reading more of Socrates. Although I've, I've been one of my friends um, who's also in the program, has been having a good time with um, the ancient Greek philosophers. So maybe I'm missing out, but um, I've been, you know, I've been really enjoying uh, 18th century philosophy um, as well as 17th. Um, learning about Isaac Newton as a philosopher is a completely different perspective. Um, the fact that he also like considered a lot of what he was doing philosophy, I didn't even know. You know, I, I don't think they tell you that in, in high school physics when you're learning about gravity, um, but it was it was really cool also just to kind of go off on a little tangent here, but um, it was really cool learning about, um, you, know, you know, Isaac Newton and his theory of gravitation and stuff in this course um, because it kind of you know, hearkened back to my, like, youthful, youthful love of space, you know, I, I mentioned astrophysics, like, a little while ago. Um, but it was, it was definitely really interesting to use philosophy, also to, like, you know, show the existence of gravity. Um, and I, I found that really, really engaging.
0: Uh, the boyhood dream never died, it, uh, it just came back in a <laughs> unique way. On all of our programs' websites, there are sometimes where you have to say take you know a couple of electives from one of these options, and that's really how you specialize as a student. So it gives you that chance to you know. for And this applies to almost every program at McGill um, to give you the chance to uh, take specifically what you're interested in. Um, so you know, we went over the, the elect the credit part of that. So that's about 72 credits, um, you know, of the full degree. So the rest of that will be elective space. Um, how have you? use your elective credits is there something that comes to mind where if someone comes up to you and says, okay I need an elective credit you know, what do you recommend? Do you have a go-to course to uh, recommend to students?
1: Um, honestly, I just say intro to philosophy <laughs> I guess it, it's uh, actually I'm not certain off to check with an advisor or just look online as we've been saying whether um, intro to philosophy counts towards uh, the philosophy degree. Um, I was wondering whether or not it was actually an elective for me but either way, that was a really, really rewarding course. And I think even if you don't end up, you know, enjoying philosophy or kind of going that route, um, it's, it's just really interesting. I think it helps you see things from kind of different perspectives. Um, I really love the conferences because we just kind of had debated different, you know, different points of view on things. Um, and I, I found that pretty valuable. In, ter- in terms of how I've used, you know, the rest of my electives, um,
0: I really haven't.
1: I've been just kind of grinding through my major, um, my majors. Uh, I've taken, you know, I've been taking a couple summer courses each year. Um, I think this year as well, all of my courses are philosophy and political science, um, which actually, you know, you think might get a little boring, but I'm, I'm having a good time.
0: I, I guess that says you're in the right place, right? So that's good. That's good to hear. And yeah, I think you can sort of maneuver that elective, those, those credits, you know, you can place them in, in ways that uh, work out, especially with the arts degree being pretty flexible in that. Uh, you talked about the conferences. So, you know, we, it's a pretty big faculty. Um, and maybe we can talk about the growth or how the classroom experience has changed from, say, that U0, U1 experience to, you know, a couple of years later. Um, you know, do you feel like you you know, how, how does it work? Are there hundreds of students every time? Do you feel like you finally get to smaller classrooms as you progress through your degree? What was that experience like?
1: Yeah, so my first year um, definitely had the biggest classes. Uh, I think, what is it, Leacock 132 is the, the really, really big, like think the biggest lecture hall in McGill. What is it, over 400? Three hundred.
0: Yeah, that one might be a six hundred, or it's two thirty-two. Uh, this number gets mentioned on every podcast, so this is what every <laughs> listener will, will know about. Good. That's that's great. Yeah. So I had,
1: you know, one of my classes was there um, for for political science. Um, so that was a massive one. My philosophy classes were a little smaller, just because I think the um, faculty is a little, or the I think the department's a little smaller um, than political science. Um, but yeah, I had some pretty big classes in my first year. Um, even the conferences were a little bit on the bigger side. Um, so the conferences are uh, just like, you know you have your classes every week, big lectures, and then you'll also have uh, your conference which they divide the whole class into sections. And you guys meet together as a smaller group with usually a TA to you know go over readings um, and discuss stuff. But yeah, going into my second year, it was kind of split. I was still taking some intro courses, um, particularly with, with philosophy as I just, you know, I was, wasn't really sure that was gonna be my degree yet, um, at least in my first year. So I was still taking some intro courses, still getting into it, but I was also in, I think one or two 300 level courses that were definitely a little bit smaller, um, but it was really, I guess my, my second semester, uh, my second year, I had one class that was um, just like 30 people, which was great. Um, and that was a 400 level political science course. Um, since then I've taken, you know, really like this year, I've taken just three and four hundreds. Um, and I guess it's kind of hard to tell, you know, exactly how big those classes are, um, especially cause some, some of the classes um, don't do live lectures. They just post the um, lecture recordings and then do conferences. Yeah, I think those. You know, if it if it were in person, those would definitely be uh, some smaller class
0: sizes. Look, because you brought it up, let's just let's get into that. What? So obviously, I'm sure you've heard what fall 2021 could look like or what it should look like uh, for our new students. Um, but I think there's a, you know, I think there's still a valid reason to talk about what the past year has been um, for our student experience. You know, in case there is some continuation. So good or bad. If there is any good, I think it's fair. If there isn't, um, what has that experience been like being a remote learner for the past year?
1: The experience hasn't, definitely hasn't been uh, an easy one. Um, But I think one thing I am grateful for is that uh, the McGill administration decided to go forward with, or, you know, a continuation of the um, pass-fail policy that uh, they'd introduced uh, at the start of the pandemic. I I found that very helpful, especially as, you know, up up in Montreal, if, if you're if you've been living here during the pandemic, um, we've been in red zone, so most most things have been closed, and we've all been limited to only seeing people from our households. Um, so it can definitely get a little a little dreary, especially as the winter's set in. Um, but it's you know every the the professors have been trying, I think. You you definitely get the sense that they care. I, I had a pretty rough semester last semester, um, and you know as as it started to get towards the end, uh, I'd kind of been dealing dealing with a lot of it on my own, um, not really reaching out to professors or anything when I'd you know missed an assignment. Um, but as we got to the end of the semester, I was you know looking at things, talking to my parents, um, and kind of realized that I definitely had a few outstanding items that needed to be addressed. Um, but when I started actually reaching out to, to my profs, you know, I, I was pretty worried that they would, you know, shoot me down or be like, oh, yeah, that's you still have to hand that in tomorrow or, you know, oh, sorry, no exceptions. But I actually found them all to be really understanding. Uh, there wasn't, you know, there wasn't a single one where I wasn't happy with with what happened. Um, so like nobody said that, you um, you know, an assignment wouldn't count because I had to turn it in late or there was actually one class where I like, get this. I had an, a, an essay that was due a month and a half ago or something. But in his in his <laughs> rubric on um, when he was talking about the due date, he he was being nice. And he said it's due here. Um, then it's like three days. Um, or, sorry, every three days, it's like five percent off. For up through five or up through six days, and then that's just like the uh, the limit uh, of the late penalty. So you know, a month and a half later, I sent him an email, and I I was asking, you know, admittedly I I didn't try to <laughs> go go that way with him, um, but regardless, you know, even even with that um, instance, the professor was super accommodating, um, allowed me to. I actually got an incomplete in the course, which isn't as bad as it might sound. Um, basically means uh, the professor and the student have kind of agreed that the um, you know the student wasn't able to complete all of the coursework that semester, um, but is going to complete it in the future. So that's this semester for me. Um, so I'm writing up an essay for that class uh, now, actually. Um, but yeah, I found the professors to be, to be pretty accommodating in that regard, which, was, which is definitely nice. Um, and I think you know the adaptation has been a little rough at times, but I think especially now as we're kind of getting towards the, the latter half of the second semester, um, it's getting, I guess, as smooth as it can be for, for online school.
0: And I think if there's one message to to take from that it's you know interacting with the professor in some capacity they you know very rarely if at all will they ever come out you know reach out to you if they see oh the students not handing things in but if you just send any kind of information any kind of contact to them then at least it initiates a conversation you may not always get the answer that you're looking for um but it's the only way to make a difference you know if if you do need to figure something out um, so I'm glad it did work out for you and that you got the answers you were looking for. Um, but as you said, it was because you reached out to them. So um, good to hear about that adaptability. Um, maybe before the remote learning aspects um, with professors, how is, have you had a good experience with them, whether it's the large lecture halls or maybe you don't get that one-to-one interaction, but what are your thoughts about McGill professors in a non-remote learning capacity?
1: Yeah, I find, you know, I've been really happy with um, most, of, most of my professors. I think you definitely have to kind of reach out on your your own if you want to get some one-on-one, um, you know, one-on-one interaction, especially with, with the bigger classes. Um, you know, thinking about it, it's really just that 30-person class where it was pretty easy to, um, you know, talk to, talk to the professor. Um, he, he definitely went out of his way to interact with everybody. But again, that's because the class size was was 30. It was a smaller seminar. Um, but, you know, and this is, this is something that I'm trying to work on, especially as I'm getting into my last year here. Um, I haven't done too much um, outreach on my own, um, but I know from my friends and stuff, and it's really just a matter of getting around to it, that all you really have to do is, you know, do well, do well in the class. Um, Go to office hours if um, you know if you want to sit down with them or just ask about your paper um, or just questions. I think they really appreciate it. Um, and something you know, my my kind of plan going forward is there's um, this international political economy thing, and there's one professor who um, teaches uh, most of it in political science. And my kind of my my plan that I've been formulating and just have to execute is um, you know I did well in his classes and I think you know I'm gonna do a little a little more research into IPE um, come up with some questions uh, maybe look at some of his research um, and then just shoot him an email ask to you know see if we can chat sometime about the work he's doing um, just to kind of start you know building up building up that relationship and also Like I said, I I like international political economy, so it it should be pretty interesting too.
0: That sounds great. I think that plan will should work. Um, If there's one (laughs) thing I know, no guarantees. But if there's one thing I know about professors, it's uh, they love the work that they're doing most of the time. If they're publishing it, there's a reason for that. So you know, for any student who's coming in, learn the McGill database, learn how to look up articles, and then once you start liking professors or you, you start you know sharing you know, uh, something that you have in common with them as an academic interest, look up their stuff, be able to talk about it with them. And it can't be bad, It might not lead to something, but it, like, they're not going to close the door on you, they're going to be interested to talk about that. Have you ever had something in common with someone and the conversation wasn't great? Like, that's that's not typically <laughs> not how it works, right? If, if you agree, or have a mutual interest, that's usually a positive thing. So um, I think we got a lot in depth in, in your academic piece and talking about professors. And I think that's great. And I think, you know, we talk about university, we talk about McGill, like, oh, what are the classes like? How hard are they? Um, but and it's something that we try to focus on when I'm speaking to students is looking for that balance outside of the classroom. So whether it's summer positions, doing something or part time stuff during the school year, um, finding a way to have a balance in your life. Um, what have you done you know, outside of the classroom to sort of uh, re-energize, re-energize you know, yourself and getting through the day by day?
1: Yeah, um, so I definitely have quite a quite a decent amount of just extracurricular involvement at McGill, um, and I think that's that's been super valuable in, you know, again breaking up the 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 rigor of all this coursework and helping me, you know, meet new people, which which is always really fun. Um, so my first year, you know, kind of like I alluded to before, uh, I joined uh, a fraternity. Um, of which I am now the president. didn't need to flex, but thought I'd drop it in there. Um, But that has been a super rewarding experience so far. Um, It definitely, especially my first year, it was really, really valuable to have a group of older, you know, experienced McGill um, students uh, kind of taking you in and just giving you, you know, giving you that set of friends um, kind of right off the bat. Um, so you already kind of have, I don't want to say your place because, or like your group, because I think you can have a lot of groups. Um, you don't, you know, you don't need anyone, but it definitely helps provide like one, one group that is always going to be there. Uh, so that was, that was really valuable. Um, and, you know, through that, I've been keeping myself busy with a little bit of like philanthropy work. Um, yeah, there's obviously, you know, some social aspects that are really fun, you um, we do, you know, just other stuff like that. Additionally, I'm involved in Model United Nations. Um, and that has also been been great. Um, I am not on the the delegation team. So I don't, you know, I don't travel with the McGill Model UN team um, to other schools to do all that stuff. Uh, seemed like a little bit too much for me. You know, I like I like international relations, but don't don't feel like traveling every couple of weeks, um, and you know some of the, the higher intensity practicing they do. Um, although the McGill Model UN team is is a it's a really good one. I think it might be number one in Canada, but don't quote me on that. <laughs> um, but I so instead what I've done is I've become involved in um, staffing the two Model UN conferences that the International Relations Student Organization um, at McGill hosts. Um, So there's the, you know, the university level one in the winter and the high school level one in the fall. Um, So I got involved in that uh, right in my first year. Um, I met, I met uh, someone during Frosh who um, we we started chatting and he, I mentioned Model UN and he um, was, you know, a couple, a couple years older and was staffing Model UN. Um, and he was like, "Oh, why don't you apply to this?" Um, so was really happy. I, you know, kind of picked up on that opportunity. But I've stuck with that now um, through through next year, um, where I'll be the uh, deputy deputy undersecretary general of crisis committee committees. Yes, another another little flex in there. Um, but uh, at Suns, so that'll be that'll be really fun. But that definitely. Helped me kind of scratch my uh, my model UN itch without kind of going full going all the way in uh, and joining joining the team. You know, beyond that, I, I've been involved in student government a little bit. Um, decided it it wasn't quite for me, um, but that's definitely really interesting. Uh, McGill has a very is vibrant the right word thriving um, student government community. I suppose if that makes sense, uh, I feel like it's a lot more involved than uh, at some of my other friend schools and I think just in general um, the students at McGill and the student organizations do a lot more than um, you know students from other from other universities but I've, I guess I've just found that the this you know student government here is just much more involved um, and seems to to put on more events and is just more present in some of the students' uh, lives. And the only reason I hesitate there as I'm saying it is I just remembered I'm in political science and might pay a little bit closer attention to these things. Um, But I do think that they do just kind of tend to host host more events um, and just just do more um, at McGill. And I think that, I guess, to take a little bit beyond the student government, I think that just organizations, student organizations at McGill overall um, just do do a lot of event planning um, and organization and and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, I think there's one thing and you've kind of already shared, I think the theme of this is the independence factor of a McGill student and how much you're actually doing on your own, whether it's picking your courses or whether it's figuring all that stuff out. But then it's also the clubs that exist. And, you know, there's an organization, obviously, that looks over these things. But, uh, you know, if the students want to do it, you know, there's a lot of Freedom there to, to obviously like with limitations, but definitely a lot of opportunity. So it's, it's cool to hear from the students themselves because that's how I viewed it. Um, but it, it's nice to know that it's realistic and that it's actually accurate in what we think. In terms of maybe like getting some internships or thoughts like that, like have you kept yourself busy maybe in the summer, um, maybe not through McGill directly, but have you, you know, what, what do you do to sort of keep yourself occupied in the summer?
1: Yeah, well, one thing I've been doing is just taking a summer course every summer. That's, see, it's, it's pretty convenient for me because McGill ends about a month earlier than most schools in the U.S., um, <clears throat> so a lot of the time, uh, internships, at least in my experience, internships will kind of start start around mid-May, um, maybe early June, late May, so that kind of gives, gives you about a month in between um, the end of finals and the start of, you know, a couple internships. So I've kind of taken advantage of that uh, these past two years by doing like a month, month and a half long summer course. And I found that really valuable. It definitely lets you like focus on one course. I think it's easier than um, the normal courses as well. Not because the material is any different, but because you're, you're really just learning something like every day instead of a couple of times a week spread out over three months. It's one month, you know, four days a week. Where it's just repetition and building on it, so I feel like you actually might even learn learn a little bit better um, in summer courses, or at least you know pay more attention to the subject and and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I've i really enjoyed my summer courses. Found them you know, like I like I mentioned pretty engaging, uh, and definitely uh, you kind of I feel like you get a little bit you definitely get something out of uh, just kind of focusing in on one subject for a month. Um, beyond that, uh, my first year, um, or my first summer, I guess, I, I worked on a state assembly campaign in New Jersey. Um, didn't really use McGill to find, <laughs> to find that one. Um, I think it, it was more so uh, there was someone we knew that was uh, running in our district. So I reached out and looked if they were, looked into see if they were taking on interns. <laughs> And then for my second summer, my mom uh, had mentioned an organization um, that, that she knew, um, NAF, the National Academy Foundation. Hope I'm allowed to, <laughs> allowed to name drop that. Um, but they do a lot of great work um, with, uh, with high school students. I, I reached out to them and this was during the whole COVID summer. So they were actually um, just, they were starting up a couple, a couple new programs uh, that I was able, able to get involved in and help out with. So that was really fun. I think they, they definitely needed a little extra help with the, you know, whole transition to, to virtual and everything. And then that come that brings us all the way to this summer where this time I was determined, oh, I forgot. Yeah. The big, the big letdown of last summer, I was all set up to, um, to intern at a at the US consulate in Frankfurt, Germany. I was I spent, you know, probably 12 hours putting my security clearance application together too. <laughs> but it it um unfortunately was canceled in I think it was like March. So that is heartbreaking. I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> had to mention it. Somebody has to know <laughs> that it was gonna happen. But yeah, this summer again, you know, I kind of in, in in getting that internship the summer before I was a little more organized. I think when it comes to finding internships overall, you kind of have to be on it, even from like September. If you're looking at the State Department, here's a little fun fact, their applications close in, I think it's like early October. So make sure sure you're proactive about that one. But regardless, yeah, I think I've learned with internships, you got to be pretty proactive. You know, I, I keep a little list of organizations that I'd be interested in interning with. And then uh, I'll kind of like periodically check their website if internships weren't posted, or um, if internships are posted, I have like all the due dates for those, Uh, and I find I found that pretty pretty useful. And so this this year, uh, I've you know I like I said I've been keeping that list, been kind of trawling through stuff, and it looks like I'll be you know hopefully um, I just interviewed yesterday but hopefully i'll be working at new jersey economic development association so that should be really fun i actually you know to bring it back to mcgill i actually haven't taken advantage of the mcgill arts internship program or the internship office although you know i've i've been meaning to to go i think i've i've read like the event descriptions and i've heard i've heard good things from a couple of my friends that have gone
0: I appreciate you bringing it back, but I think I think it's fair to say, you know, the where and we say this a lot to students when we're traveling abroad. It's, you know, yeah, it's, it's fun. We always say stick around for a summer if you can, because Montreal summer is nice. Um, but if you are, you know, if you have opportunities back at home, go back and forth, uh, take that experience, whatever your personal connections are. Um, you know, you don't have to always do things through McGill. It's great. We have these services there. We have these opportunities, well funded Uh, positions to keep our students uh, occupied but by all means uh, where the opportunities come up grab them because you never know Um, things can happen and unfortunately get cancelled or whatever it may be so I think it's fair to to keep your uh, options open Um, so that's great. Uh, And you
1: mentioned I do want to just touch on the Montreal summer it is amazing and I've made a point to uh, to come back in August every year uh, just so I get at least at least one month of, of that Montreal summer um, without, without school.
0: Yeah. I think coming back in August is great.
1: And you, uh, you have Oshiega and uh, Il Sonique if you're interested in music festivals.
0: Yes. A lot of events. That's for sure. You know, as an international student, you know, students look at the fees, they see what that's like. Um, was that part of your consider? Now, the thing is compared to the U S as well, like maybe those numbers, you know, they, they're still helpful or maybe they're still easier to sort of visualize coming to Canada, but, um, you know, has that has your finance experience been a positive one? Has it been stressful? Like, where where do you stand on that?
1: Yeah. Um, so you know, I've been I've been fortunate enough um, where my parents have um, you know set aside uh, some tuition money for me, and they were actually really happy with with uh, my decision to go with McGill because um, it's you know it's it is a lot less than comparable schools in the U.S. Um, I think my kind of decision had come between I was down to uh, UBC, which uh, I'd gotten a scholarship to, which actually brought the tuition right about down even with McGill's, which is (laughs) pretty, pretty funny. Um, And then I had uh, deferred admission to uh, Cornell. So I could have done my first year at McGill um, and then headed on down to Ithaca. I think one of one of the big factors in in choosing McGill was um, definitely the the money side of things just because you know I guess UBC even though it would have been uh, about the same amount I liked I liked McGill a lot better <laughs> uh, especially being downtown that's kind of that was the big decider for me but yeah I guess I'm rambling a little bit over all over here the the big thing is, that it is—it was definitely cheaper than um, we had been expecting. Especially once, once you're out of res, it gets even even lower. Um, to the point where, I think you know, I'll be paying in four years, the amount that my friends paid in like one and a half maybe. And I think I think that's the big thing is even though the international fee is uh, a decent amount more than you know Canadian or if you're a Quebec resident coming from the US at least, it's usually gonna be significantly less than, you know, almost any comparable school there.
0: Yeah, I I thank you for sharing that. Like I know the subject is maybe not the most uh, exciting one and it's, I can definitely (laughs) see the awkwardness there, but it's, but I I just, you know, it's good to hear. And I think students who, I think other students could be in similar situations as yourself and are maybe thinking of these things. And, you know, as much as you're thinking the three or four year picture, of your undergraduate degree, but maybe you're thinking 10, 20 years down the line. Um, so it's, uh, I think it's, there are things definitely to consider. Um, talking a little bit about the future. Now I'm just you know, I'm full of these segues here. What are your thoughts in that? So I know you have a year left, but typically in that last year, you are starting to make decisions of like, whether it's grad school or whether it's career aspirations. Um, wh- what are you feeling right now uh, after graduation?
1: What a question. Um... <laughs> I think you know the classic, the classic answer for like any poli sci philosophy student is law school. Um, so I'm definitely considering that. Um, I don't think it would be at McGill only because I am not a uh, a French speaker, and my understanding of the McGill law school is that um, you need to know both French and English for it. So you know probably not at McGill if that's the way I decide to go. But law school is on the table. Beyond that. Maybe just some general NGO work. Uh, I was interested in the foreign service for a little while, um, but um, not not so much anymore. And um, I guess general general public service I find pretty interesting. So some government work, perhaps maybe a master's of some sort. Public policy is cool. I hear there's a Max Bell School at McGill. So I, you know I'm kind of kind of looking at that. I've considered public office, but I think that's kind of a late, a little bit later in life decision. Um, Political consulting would be fun working on a campaign. Yeah, I can just, I can just go on. You can tell.
0: Um, (laughs) Options are great. Options are definitely great. We're not (laughs) asking you to close doors right now. We're asking you to keep them all open. And it seems like you are. uh, Are there more?
1: United Nations is cool. I mean, (laughs) no, I can, I guess that kind of falls under, you know, not really an NGO. I'm going going off again, but yeah, you know, really just I'm definitely. I think I'm going to pursue further education at some point. The big question in my, I guess the three options in my mind are, law degree if I get into a law school, crossing my fingers there. Uh, law degree, doing a little work in the field first. You know what field that would be. You you guys all heard my <laughs> my little. Um, diatribe there, but doing some work in the field and then pursuing some higher degree um, or going right into a master's of some sort.
0: All valuable options, all definitely interesting for sure. Uh, And I'll I'll say the McGill degree has prepared you for wherever you decide to go, hopefully. (laughs) Um, So uh, good luck with all of that. Uh, So we're nearing the end. I have two last things that I want to ask that I ask everybody else. Um, And first thing that comes to mind. So the first thought you have uh, to this question, what is your favorite thing about McGill? If you had to pick one thing.
1: Oh, why one? Um, I guess if you're going to make me choose one, I guess it's the students. Um, I I really like uh, just, I guess the general, uh, I don't want to say vibe, but the the general you know vibe at McGill work hard play hard is so overused <laughs> um, but everyone everyone at McGill is is pretty is going to be smart um, most people are interested in what they're studying um, and you know you, they're going to be involved in like one extracurricular or another which I find you know it's just it's just really really exciting to be around you know similar pe- people you know, like, like yourself, I think that are, that are driven. Um, and, you know, you can tell that they want to be here. They want to be, they want to learn more. They want to, um, you know, excel in the field they're in. Um, and I think I've found that environment just, just really, really great. And I I mentioned play hard. I think there's also just uh, a lot of really fun, really fun stuff at McGill and you'll find fun stuff at, at any school. Um, but I think there's definitely a, a unique McGill twist um, to, to the social scene, especially, ha, I get to tie in Montreal because that was my, my other number one, especially because McGill is in Montreal. Um, well, and... let,
0: me, let, let me stop you there then, because my last question <laughs> is your favorite thing about Montreal.
1: Okay, then the answer is it is Montreal, because it is the best is it the best city in the world? Do I want to say that? I'm usually pretty hesitant with superlatives. Um, and that's a big one. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I love Montreal. Um, it's such like a lively and vibrant city. Um, and it has been one of the sadder things about COVID um, is that, you know, it's, it's taken a little bit of that away, at least for now, um, but... It's, it's just such a cool city. There's, you know, we talked about food before. I am a big food guy, if you, if you guys couldn't tell from, <laughs> from, from that. Um, and the food scene at Montreal is insane. There's just all kinds of cuisines. And I come from like a smaller town in New Jersey. So I'm just used to like, you know, the, uh, the local Chinese restaurant and diners. <laughs> so it, it's amazing coming up here um, and trying all the different kinds of foods. Um, the student population of montreal is i think one of the biggest percentages of any of any large city which is really cool i mean you could tell that the city's like i don't know if geared towards students is the right word but it's just like a lively city uh, there's a really big club scene if that's what you're into but there's also like all kinds of other things there's like really a really quirky district over you know towards mile end um, cool graffiti to look at um bagels uh there's just so many different is subcultures the right word i don't know like i think it's fair i think that's fair yeah like um you know one of my friends is really into um punk and there are like different bars you can go to um to listen to music like that uh you know jazz bars um there's just just so much to do and it feels like there's always something to do even in the winter there's different festivals going on i could uh, Montreal is just great.
0: So then, okay. So I lied. I got one more thing that I think comes up a <laughs> bit uh, when I'm on the road or talking to students outside of Montreal. And you, you, you hinted at this before the, the speaking French aspect. So yes, obviously Montreal being in a bilingual city, uh, francophone and anglophone. Um, what if someone said, "Well, I don't speak a word of French. I don't think I'll be able to learn French while I'm there." Um, should I be hesitant toward going to McGill? And what's your thought, what's your answer to that?
1: Um, not at all. I think if you want to learn French, Montreal is the place to do it. Um, if you put the effort in, I think it'll come pretty easily. I, I know a couple people um, that didn't speak too much French when they got here, I'm from the US as well. Um, but you know they're not fluent now, but they're definitely at least conversational. You know They can uh, go into a store and order something order something in French and get by pretty easily. Um, But you definitely don't need to know French. I mean, and I don't think I've ever run into someone, you know, in a store or a restaurant or, um, you know, hair salon, any anywhere, you know, I I don't think I've ever run into anyone that didn't speak English. And I know, you know, that's not to say you never will. Um, But I feel like a lot of you know, a lot of the things that um, we do as students, or just just generally, um, you're probably not going to to need French for it. Um, but you you can definitely learn it if if that's what you want to do. It's a great place to do it.
0: Perfect. That's what I say, but no one ever believes me. So it's nice to hear it <laughs> from a student who's gone through that experience. So. Uh, I don't have anything else Uh, I think we've covered a lot and I think it's super beneficial the things that you've mentioned uh, your your story I think could be really helpful and I think a lot of people can see themselves in in your experience so I'm hoping that that's accurate and and people enjoy this I hope you enjoyed uh, being here today so I do want to thank you for taking the time and joining me uh, for this yeah
1: thanks for for having me on Nick